Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Specters, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom or robots, and I'm here with my good buddy Sam, and Sam, I am excited about today's episode because we're talking about the technology of weapons, and this sounds freaking awesome. Yes. How you doing, man? Bang, bang. Bang, bang. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And yeah, we, uh, we're we taking a different turn. We were just doing an, you know, a couple episodes on Edie, but, but since Edie is, you know, she controls the Normandy cyberware or cyber warfare suite, um, and Edie's, Edie's, you know, Edie's a person, but Edie's also technology. So, <laughs> right. yeah. so I figured this was, you know, since we're doing alternating episodes and topics, I figured it was only appropriate to address one of the community's favorite aspects of the games, the weapons. The weapons, because, I mean, you do spend a significant portion of the game blowing things up. Oh, yeah. So, well, I do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah I mean, that's, that's part of, like, that's, I, sometimes I enjoy that stuff. Well, uh, if I were to rank it, it would be blowing stuff up, talking to people, like especially the people I want to talk to, not just everybody. Sometimes I'm just like, God, just move on with the conversation. Right. But sometimes but like there are definitely people that you're like, oh, this this is a character I like or like, oh, this is really cool for the lore, you know, and then walking down the hallways. And we all know that I'm not a big fan. I, of I was going to ask like, where hallways and where elevators. on your priority list is banging aliens go. Um, I mean, that's, that's below conversation. Cause usually I'm pretty bad at making that work out. Mm. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't look at the, like the spoiler, spoilery walkthroughs that are like, if you really want to get in good with so-and-so, you need to say these things and not do these things. And you know, like that crap, like I generally just kind of like, eh, this is where my shepherd is right now. Oh, we're not compatible. <laughs> <laughs> that same thing happened with me and Tally on my last, uh, bro ship playthrough. Uh, basically, you know, Tally's loyalty mission, she asks you to lie for her, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we and, talked about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, that part of the whole game is just cut off from me. 
it's not gonna yeah. it's not gonna happen all of a sudden she uh, cancels on dinner it's yep. this whole big thing yeah 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 but then the hallways at, and then the elevators are at the bottom mm. yes <laughs> mass effect elevator ride yeah so anyway let's get into the things people actually want to talk about or at least hear about on this episode the the small arms and weapons and stuff where do we start so they, you know, they definitely don't use black powder. Uh, however, a Mass Effect musket would be something of a meme, and I'd love to see it. Yeah, right. Special, right. special message to all you modders out there. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad that you, you know, uh, we're going to talk about the weapons because more specifically, we're talking about the technology that drives them, the technology that makes Mass Effect weapons different than those in our own world. Right. Okay. So, um, so kick us off. How much more advanced is the average gun in Mass Effect? From what I've seen, nearly every basic projectile weapon, with a few notable exceptions, uses mass accelerator technology. And to understand why the weapons are advanced, we should get into what that even means. Mass Effect accelerator technology relies on some of the basic scientific, I'm going to put scientific in quotes here, Mm -hmm. scientific principle that most advancements in the Mass Effect universe have, which is using an electrical current passing through element zero to generate a Mass Effect field. And that is a field around an object or person that reduces or increases the amount of mass inside that field. So this is the the, uh, principle behind how ships are able to travel at faster than light speeds. It's also what powers trainer's toothbrush. (laughs) <laughs> so the, the, the applications of this principle are like far and wide. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in this case of guns, they're using the fields to alter the mass of their bullets. And I put bullets in quotes uh, to travel at incredibly high speeds with the same force of propulsion. The result is that guns can now fire at such high speeds that were never possible before. So these are like kind of like rail guns, but rail guns in the future. So like a railgun is projected through magnetic technology. So basically you put a gigantic magnetic force on something and then launch it out and it it flies faster than it would if you were to put combustion behind it, an explosion, right? Yes. This yeah. is like reducing the mass of the projectile to a point where when you do accelerate it, it accelerates at extremely fast velocities because it doesn't have any mass. Like there's no drag on it there's no uh the more mass something has the more energy it takes to move it it, to increase its speed but if something has very low mass you can increase the speed exponentially and now you're having things that just are moving way faster than the speed of sound oh yeah and yeah and in the case of like traveling from galaxy across the galaxy like close to the speed of light and that brings up a good point you know if it's fast enough is it going to break the speed of sound and and go even and like if it's even faster does that mean it's even louder but i would argue for mass effect guns that doesn't really apply because they're not again it's not combustion so you're still going to hear a sound but it's likely going to be the result of an electromagnetic propulsion yeah i wonder if because it reduces in mass i wonder if the actual projectiles are 
are very small because a very small low mass thing moving at a very fast speed still creates a lot of destruction when it comes into contact with something else. So this this is, for example, the fear of getting hit by uh, meteors on the planet, right? Like if the meteor is only the size of like a city block, that's really not very big compared to the size of the Earth. But if the thing is hurtling towards Earth at like, I don't know, gigantic numbers, you know, millions of miles per hour, then all of the kinetic energy that's built up in that speed of the object is the part that's dangerous. It's not the size so much. So yes. I would imagine with with a mass propelled through a gun like this, it's really about the amount of speed and not about the amount of mass that really does the damage. So a very, very small projectile landing on somebody at that high velocity could still basically do a ton of damage. And, and you'd be right, because that is how uh, the lore paints it for us in in the codex and in all the explanations. They specifically say that, you know, the, the, the projectiles are really not that large. And the codex itself gives us this wonderful image of what this can mean in the extreme case. You know, just like you were saying, the codex says, if accelerated to a high enough velocity, a simple paint chip can impact with the same destructive force as a nuclear weapon. However, mass accelerators produce recoil equal to their impact energy. <laughs> so you're going to get blown backwards at the same right. rate that the thing would be coming out of the, the front right. of the so weapon. So there's a limit. Basically, they, yeah. they, wrote in, they wrote in a way for them not to get, like, like overpowered in the game by themselves, you know. Right, right. Um, and, you know, considering that the average small arms fire, it just it just shears off tiny slices of that metal block. Like, it, there's no there's no magazine in Mass Effect weapons. Mm -hmm. It's not like our weapons where you load a magazine with bullets. It's just a block of metal that they put in there. And the computer, it like shaves off, like it calculates how much it needs and it shaves off a very thin slice, like a slug mm -hmm. of that metal. So and we're talking so, like millimeters, like yes, itty bitty. Yes. Yeah. And so considering that the average small arms fire just shares that off, imagine how deadly the 150 millimeter mass accelerator cannon on the Mako is. Mm -hmm. it, it starts to make sense why when you fire that thing at Geth, they just disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's but, that's crazy. But again, it, it, this doesn't mean that the physical equation is can be wildly unbalanced, right? You can tell the writers really thought this through because they note in the codex that weapon recoil is basically still the huge X factor. Uh, to fire something at speeds fast enough to create a nuclear explosion, you would need a lot of force, even with mass-reducing fields. And uh, my personal guess is that there's just not enough ESO in a weapon to do that. Like. Like the rifle can only be be so big. It can only hold so much ESO to produce the, you know, mass reduction field needed to f like if you don't have the propulsion, if you don't have the not in this case combustion, but electromagnetic propulsion, if that's not high enough to fire, a, let's say, a baseball at speeds necessary <laughs> for a nuclear explosion, uh -huh. then you would need to reduce the mass of that baseball enough. Right. Right. Exponentially more. And. You can't do that with these weapons because, as I imagine, there's not there's just simply not enough ESO, not enough electric current running through them to reduce the mass enough. So there is right. a limit. Right. Whereas like on a spaceship, you could have a, a gigantic amount of ESO and a lot of current from the generator on the spaceship 
And so therefore you could take something that was the size of a baseball and reduce it to a very, very small mass and then shoot it out at a very fast speed and create a gigantic explosion. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, mo- but most small arms in Mass Effect, they do use that electromagnetic attraction and repulsion to physically propel the projectiles. Mm-hmm. And so you may be wondering at this point what exactly what exactly they fire. Well, like I said, it's not bullets. Here's what the codex tells us. Quote, the ammo magazine is a simple block of metal. The gun's internal computer calculates the mass needed to reach the target based on the distance, gravity, and atmospheric pressure, and then shears off an appropriately sized slug from the block. A single block can supply thousands of rounds, making ammunition a non-issue during any engagement. So it's adjusting the size of the projectile for every single shot. Yeah. That's how intelligent it is. That's crazy. That's so like a further away shots are probably smaller projectiles because they need to travel further. So they need less drag on them and, and yada, yada, yada. Whereas a closer shot might require a larger piece because it doesn't need to accelerate as much. I was just thinking, what if it what if it was a farther away shot? Would it need a, a larger slug because of the inertia? Maybe. Yeah. Like that's the, I guess that's where the computer comes in. Is it right? Like it balances that out. Like on this planet, there's amount, this much air drag on the projectile. There's this much inertia. There's this much gravity. So there's going to be a certain amount of drop of the projectile over time. Yeah. Right. So and it's different worlds, too. Right. Yeah. So uh, on this planet, it's going to work like this on the moon. It's going to work like this. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. It makes sense, though, because then the computer's doing the heavy lifting. You, as the person shooting the gun, simply need to line the thing up in your sights and pull the trigger. Right. It's right. figuring Soldiers. out, yeah, what it needs Soldiers to do like, in order to get oh, there. Gun go burr. Right, right. That's it. That's it. You just gotta you just gotta aim and pull the trigger, and the, the computer's gonna make sure that the projectile can get to your destination and do the most amount of damage at the same time. Exactly, but you know, unlike conventional bullets, those slugs are not meant to just pierce an object. They're designed to flatten or shatter on impact for maximum damage. And this reminds me a lot of hollow point rounds or other custom rounds uh, in weapons that are, <laughs> to my knowledge, banned by the G- Geneva Conventions. Yeah, but uh, some places you can still get them. Um, <clears throat> uh, so uh, this means that like every gun has a computer inside it, right? It does. And when while that by itself is not that different from where firearms technology is headed now, you have to understand that how intelligent these computers are. Like, I think we're beating a dead horse a little bit, but in the time it takes a gunner to raise the weapon, aim and fire, the computer is calculating how much of that metal block to shear off to propel at what speeds, given the distance of the target for the desired damage. And on top of that, the lore tells us that it also compensates for gravity and atmospheric pressure on different worlds. Mm-hmm. So it's making all of these uh, observations and calculations and all of these things literally in the uh, in the time it takes to fire the weapon. So I wonder if are the guns equipped with devices that can detect the environment around them or are they getting remote information from say the ship's computer or something like that before your crew even makes it to the ground and i don't i don't know that this is spelled out in the lore but it's not however it it might be because there are weapons that the andromeda initiative takes with them i think the x5 ghost can function as a black box recording for explorers hmm. because it you can you can literally store your like audio logs in there 
And mm-hmm. if you needed to leave it behind for a black box recording, like someone coming by later could pick up that weapon and understand what happened to you. Right. So the weapons computer is basically like a smartphone just on the weapon. And right. It can and it do does many different with the things. Omnitool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just wonder, though, is like, does each gun individually test the atmosphere around it? Like, does it have like a sensor on the gun that's like, oh, this is the density and the, and the composition of the atmosphere? Or like, uh, you know, a gravity meter that can det- sure. d- detects it. Or is it generally common enough, like anywhere you go on a planet is going to be within a certain range, a certain acceptable mathematical range of variance. If it's like the guns just sync up with the the computer on the Normandy or whatever. Right. And then you drop down to the planet and the guns know like, oh, this is the nearest body um, that we're on. Like this is the nearest place sure. for us to be going. It just grabs that information from you know, the main computer. Well, in Mass Effect 1, I think it would be a lore-friendly explanation. It's, it's de- we're definitely, you know, speculating here. Yeah, but yeah, we're out, of, be we're a out on a limb. <laughs> explanation if we said the Alliance calibrated those, those settings before they sent soldiers down planet side for a mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Mass Effect 2 and 3, I mean, ED, ED could do it for you remotely. Yeah. So, yeah, I think with ED, it would be a non-issue. Um, and, you know, some some weapons have even better targeting software. The top of the line weapons, the codex tells us, can uh, fire on a target in a howling gale. And it still feels the same as it does on a calm day on a practice range. That's crazy. That's I wonder. I wonder how that works. Like, you know, because if you're shooting at something at a distance, you have to point in a slate. Like, does the nozzle of the gun bend? In order no, to I would imagine it just it shoots it faster, shoots it harder. I see, I see. So that there's less time for the wind to even impact it. It's like mm-hmm. an s- even smaller projectile moving at a faster rate means that there's less time for the influence of the environment. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. This is really really cool stuff. Um, but you know what? We've got a mid break. We've got to thank our patrons, and we've got to talk about the patron chat, which is coming up uh, next week. So let's go do that. Then we're going to come back and we're talk more about these awesome weapons. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are, patrons. This is your this is your time to shine. We get to thank our newest patrons, who include. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up. Words are hard. Words 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 are hard. All right. I'm gonna. All right, here we go. I'm just gonna take a swing at this one. Thaliaris, I think. Thank you for signing up and joining us, Thaliaris, and Commander Frosty, and we have uh, one of our patrons, uh, Jillian B, who upgraded this last month. So thank you to all three of you guys. Welcome to the Patreon, new patrons, and thank you to all sixty-three of our current patrons. We're we're getting closer and closer, Sam, to that magical sixty-nine number. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, are we going to get to sixty nine before my birthday? Which is that, that is, seems uh, like a personal question. <laughs> <laughs> In my personal life, the forecast says shaking, shaking a magic eight ball. No, <laughs> <laughs> unlikely. Oh, um, but thank you to all of our 63 of our patrons, including our shepherd tier patrons who get shout outs every week. This includes Kolkashins, Cloudy Atlas, Kira, Lieutenant Tosino, Pipe Man and Big Bills 63. Thank you to everybody who, <laughs> who supports the show. Also, if you are a tier four or higher member, or if you would like to sign up in the next week, you can join us next week for our end of the month patron chat. We need to decide on a, a topic. I don't think we've decided on one yet, but you're also well uh, welcome to offer up topic ideas too. So um, all of that happens on the Discord. You've got a week. The patron chat will be next Monday, which is today's the 18th as we record it. That's, that's the 25th at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. So if you'd like to join us, that's how you can do it. And if you're interested in just checking out all the different tiers and all the stuff that you can get, patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast is the place to do it. Um, also, uh, you know, we don't have any new reviews this week, but if you'd like to leave us a review and a rating, we'd love it. Apple Podcasts, you can do that. We'll read it out on a future episode. Spotify is a great place to drop a rating as well. All of that stuff helps. And last thing I'm going to shout out before we get back to the middle of the back from the middle of the show, our YouTube channel, the Mass Effect Lorecast YouTube channel is getting closer and closer to that thousand subs. I think we're about to eclipse 700. So if you'd like to drop us a follow on there, or a sub, I think it's called subs, right? It's YouTube, so they're called subscribers. Then that would be super helpful. We'd really appreciate it. Plus, you get to see our beautiful faces. So go check that out. All right, that's it for the mid-break this week. Let's get on with the rest of the show. 
Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. Okay, so we're talking about we're talking about weapons. We're talking about small arms. We're talking about shooting things. We're talking about the projectiles being these little pieces of metal that are kind of chipped off a block, right? So if that's the case, how do special ammo types work? And, you know, I was curious about this, too. So I tried to get a definitive answer in the lore, and here's what I found. Quote, the development of practical manufacturing omni-tools allows modern militaries a great deal of flexibility in equipment loadouts. So right away, we're basically told, long story short, because omni-tool. <laughs> um, oh, okay. And, and so I was like, you know, I read that at first and I, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily satisfied. It felt like a little, little bit of a cop out, mm. but then I kept reading in the secondary codex entries section and it says, quote, an upgrade kit typically consists of less than a dozen unique parts and an optical storage disc when loaded into an Omni tool. The OSD provides all technical specifications required to manufacture the tool and additional parts necessary to install the upgrade onto another piece of equipment. Assembly is typically modular and an installation can be completed in less than a minute. So it doesn't necessarily say like, you know, special ammo types are used this way. But if we consider them equipment, which I'm pretty sure that they are considered equipment, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me. Hmm. So it's like... It's like the Omni tool is giving us a piece that is added to the gun that then can also can like the, 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 here's here's my question about this. Is it uh, an addition to the gun that alters the nature of the ammo block or is it a different type of ammo that's created by the Omni tool that's taking the place of the currently existing ammo block? Now, I'm speculating here, but my guess would be it doesn't have to do with the ammo block at all. Because if you if you listen to that, the you know, when loaded into an Omni tool, the storage disk provides the technical specifications required to manufacture the tool. So what I'm thinking is you get that OSD, you put it in your Omni tool, it syncs with your weapon and then it one of two things could happen. Maybe the weapon is already able to alter the ammo type and that when you put the OSD in, it just like unlocks the capability for the weapon to it's do like it. It's like turning it on. It's like a software. Right. And, but the other part, the other part that I thought maybe was plausible was, uh, what if it's not altering the ammo block at all? What if it's altering the mass effect field? Hmm. So that the nature of the mass effect field causes a different effect. Right. Maybe you could alter the Mass Effect field generating capabilities so that anything inside the field is maybe uh, hyper frozen, cold down. That's how you get your cryo ammo. Right. I don't know. Right. Maybe through different, you know, uh, reducing or increasing of mass and, and other physical qualities that it could heat it up. Inside. Yeah, it takes more drag through the atmosphere. So therefore, it, it's not actually heating it in the gun. It's heating it on the way to the target. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Um, and so at least this is what I saw for small arms. And I, if we take a step back, I think this is a pretty fourth wall breaking explanation, because if you think about it, that is exactly how the game devs program your weapon 
to say switch to Inferno ammo. They literally wrote a line of code <laughs> right. that gets triggered when the player turns it on. And so if we're if we're right in inferring this entry from the codex, that that is how Shepard turns on the code from their Omni tool, and then all of a sudden now they have this new kind of ammo. We are telling the game to tell Shepard to turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it feels a little bit like you know you the, the the guy sitting at his PC playing a game, and then like you look at the screen of the PC, and it's the guy playing the game. Right, right. Yeah, it's all just like yeah. mirroring everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hmm. And it's also, I think the same would go for tech armor uh, because your Omni tool can manufacture these things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it just needs the right resources. It needs plastic, ceramics, or the technical uh, specifications that are uh, dictated by the optical storage disk, you know? So right. in interestingly, a secondary codex entry also tells us that soldiers should be able to fabricate upgrade kits from virtually nothing. Here's what it says. Since Omni tools are designed to use common battlefield materials, salvage materials, such as plastic, ceramics, and light materials, rendered into semi-molten Omni gel for quick use, it is quite possible for a trained soldier carrying upgrade kits to customize gear on the battlefield to fit the current tactical situation. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's still very, it's still vague, but it's vague. It leaves a lot of opportunity for like, well, this could be updating your ammo or updating you know this piece of armor right yeah you just need the plastic ceramics light light materials you know you name it so right you so, just can ma macgyver it from whatever situation you're in you're like <laughs> it sounds like i it. found myself in a blown up kitchen i'm just gonna grab all the uh dishes over here and turn them into omnigel and now i've got upgraded armor Right. And, and so like, that's exactly what it sounds like that as long as you have those basic components, the Omni tool is like, oh, I can work with this. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> let me just let me just MacGyver something real quick. Yeah. So, you know, but that being said, can you remember can you remember any Mass Effect game where you just looked for resources and then could create the upgrades themselves and as opposed to finding the upgrade items? Yeah, no, no. I mean, there's no. Omnigel, but it doesn't exactly do that. So maybe we should have been able to create, you know, quote unquote, create upgrade kits from given amounts of those resources that we've recovered through the game. Do you think maybe there was like a crafting system that was originally yes. considered? Yeah. And then they're just like, ah, we don't have time to implement it. Maybe that was a previous idea that they had before just letting us find and pick up items starting in Mass Effect 1. Yeah. And that, that's kind of exactly what I thought when I read that this explanation in the writing would made would have made a lot of sense for an original game mechanic that may have been taken out yeah yeah um huh. or maybe you know in universe we are actually picking up the resources when we loot that crate when we you know break into this safe we're actually just picking up the resources and the Omni tool in real time is telling us which items can be created from these. Right. So we're not actually seeing the mechanics. We're just seeing the end result. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, okay. So given how, how these uh, small arms function, it sounds like whoever had more ammo and could fire faster could just overwhelm shields and win. Well, it's interesting you should say that, um, because this is also the lore's reason why we switch from Mass Effect 1's system of heat sinks to the normalization of thermal clips in Mass Effect 2 and 3. 
So while ammo was a non-issue, like the codex says in Mass Effect 1, that meant that it wasn't really about who had more ammo, but being able to light, lay down heavy fire more continuously for a longer time meant you could overwhelm enemies' shields quicker. So why not just more durable heat sinks instead of thermal clips? And that, that answer comes from the Geth. Uh, during the Geth War through Mass Effect 1, they performed mathematical analysis on their combat logs, and what they found was the same conclusion you had mentioned. More sustained fire without having to pause to vent your weapon or fire slower to manage that heat meant that you could win. You could win engagements. You break shields. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and if you can break your enemy's shields before you, you know, your shields get broken, then, then they're dead. Easy. Yeah. Um, so the Geth made disposable heat sinks, aka thermal clips, because soldiers wouldn't need to pause or slow down to manage the heat. And following the Geth attack on the Citadel, now this part I'm guessing the timeline wise, but this is what happened. Um, I'm guessing enough Geth had died from around the other races in Citadel space that their leftover technology was reverse engineered because the lore tells us that in, two, in the two years after Shepard died, the entire arms industry underwent this massive shift. The manufacturers eventually adopted thermal clips as standard with a soldier being able to eject and swap the clips in under a second. And uh, when I read that in the lore, my first thought was, well, of course the arms manufacturers are going to adopt this. It sounds a lot more lucrative, doesn't it? Right. Well, replaceable parts, you're going to pay more for them. Uh, but it also makes sense that you don't have to wait for something to cool down. You just eject the hot one, put a cool one in and keep going. So, yeah, I, yeah, it would I definitely. Get it. Yeah, it would. It, it, you can't you probably couldn't afford to slow down the pace of combat in unforeseen circumstances right like, oh i just got flanked but i'm waiting for my weapon to like cool down right yeah no i just pop a new clip in and i'm ready to go yeah it makes sense yeah. makes sense so okay so i know the answer is probably a lot more arbitrary but what do we know about how they came up with the designs for the weapons well we know a lot less in short uh and, and first of all, before we move on, I do want to say that w the reason with thermal clips and um, and heat sinks that we just talked about, that's the reason that we're given in the lore. That's, of course, like mm -hmm. in, in real life, the answer is a lot different. It's it's that it's sped up gameplay and it made more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the answer. But in terms of the lore, that's what it tells us. But about the design of the weapons, we do know a few things. Of course, there's the standard classes of weapons like assault rifles, snipers, shotguns, pistols, and then later submachine guns and heavy pistols. Uh, but guns in Mass Effect are collapsible, which is pretty cool because it means you can store more weapons on your back. Uh, but it also makes me wonder what they're made of for weight purposes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because if you have a gun made of lead, right, it's going <laughs> to be very collapsible. Heavy and, right. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and then I guess I haven't looked into this yet, but if the gun is heavy enough, I wonder if your armor, your like uh, your armor has specific mass effect fields that go around the weapon to <laughs> right? reduce it so that your soldier is not like, oh, my God, I'm, uh, I'm, I have three guns on me. This is so heavy. Yeah. Well, chances are, like in the real world, it's going to be a combination of very resilient and dense material that's as light as we can possibly make it with the most recent technology we have. Right. Polymers, alloys. Yeah. Words. 
uh, words. <laughs> <laughs> and you may also notice that most of the original weapons in Mass Effect have this arch design. It's an arch design. Look on the piece that's right next to the shoulder mount. Mm -hmm. And I, I noticed this because I have this book, The Art of Mass Effect. And there are all these different concept art and all this, all this stuff. And I noticed a similar trend because it pointed it out, the art team did in their book, that all of these weapons have a very similar arch design. Like it's just like a, yeah. like a shallow it's got arch. kind of a yeah, yeah. Conca concave and, shape to it. And where else do we see this? Well, we see this in the Mass Effect logo itself. Convex? Did I mess that up? Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. The the yeah. The crest of the planet. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. And so it's it's also present in so many other ships and architecture and more in the games that when I noticed it in the weapons, I was like, I've been playing this game for 15 years. <laughs> How have I not noticed this before? Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty cool that they incorporated that design there uh, in Ma starting in Mass Effect 1. And then from the beginning, the art team decided not to give, or, or I'm sorry, they decided to give most weapons two barrels, not for mm -hmm. functionality, but just for a futuristic, this is different aesthetic. <laughs> really? That's yeah. why? Yeah. Yeah, so and most weapons don't use their two barrels, but if you look, most weapons do have two barrels. And this design choice continued into Mass Effect 2, despite that the art team says that they made a concerted effort to make their weapons in Mass Effect 2 look less futuristic. They didn't want them to look as futuristic in Mass Effect 2. Why? They wanted to broaden the appeal. Right, and more relatable by people as like, oh, this looks like a gun, rather than just this looks like a space shape. <laughs> right, right. And they, they wanted, and I think that confirms what a lot of uh, hardcore Mass Effect fans already thought. One was hardcore sci-fi, and then they toned it down a little bit to appeal to the masses, because they're yeah. like, okay, you sci-fi weirdos, uh, we need to bring the normies in for more money. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course, of course. So wait, so, so does, this, does this just go for human weapons or every race? Well, by, by Mass Effect 2, the art team said that they had made Citadel species weaponry look similar because they wanted to convey that most species were getting weapons from the same suppliers, mm -hmm. everyone except for the collectors and the geth. I wonder if that was because they wanted to or because they didn't have the time to produce different looking weapons for every race. Yeah, that's that a, was that multiplies the art demand. Yes. And it yeah. and their uh i cannot imagine what their timeline was like after ea bought bioware yeah we do there's definitely a sense that like two and three definitely were limited Expedited. on when they needed to be out for release and all of that so right yeah um or maybe the art team is being completely transparent and that they genuinely just wanted it to look the same to convey multi-race corporations uh the art team did make a distinct departure from that though in Mass Effect 3, because they tailored each race's weaponry after design themes already apparent in that race's ships, mm -hmm. architecture, and armor. A key example of this is uh, as soon as you land on Zerkesh in Mass Effect 3, you meet up with uh, Paddock Wicks, who, fun fact, named after one of the writers, Patrick Weeks, <laughs> uh, and he fires a Salarian pistol when Cerberus invades, and the Salarian pistol looks and incredibly different. We've never seen a pistol like this to this point in Mass Effect at all. Um, and the art team commented on this pistol 
in that book. And they said that they took the elements visible in the pistol, which are rounded edges and very circular elements. They're not hard, hard angles. Yeah. And they said that they took those elements from Morden's armor. Makes sense. Taking so, it's it's not uncommon. Take themes and kind of use the themes through like in fantasy it would be like this race has these themes in their architecture, but that also shows up in their armor designs and their weapons. Like this is the space equivalent of that. Oh, yeah. And you can tell with uh, in Mass Effect 3, you can tell that that is the case with a lot of Turian equipment and Quarian equipment as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of electric, a lot of like electricity kind of themed things involved with the Quarians make sense because who have they been fighting uh, for a long time? Well, they had, you know, their main enemy was the Geth. Right. So you would want to engineer your weapons to be primarily electric. Um, and the same went for Mass Effect Andromeda with Milky Way originating weapons having distinct differences in appearance than those from the Helios cluster in Andromeda or the gear from the remnant. So very, very cool uh, choice. I'm glad that they allowed more bandwidth for the art team to keep that level of consistency. Uh, And by, of course, Mass Effect 3 and Mass Effect Andromeda's time, weapons appearances changed as you upgraded them. So depending on which attachments you put on there, things would look different right right well this has been very very cool i know we've got some other things to discuss next time where are we go in in the next episode so we went over the technology and the design of typical small arms in the milky way but next time we're going to talk about some notable exceptions and unique weapons and how they work very very cool very very cool well guys um this is the uh, we're going to wrap up the episode here. Thank you for joining us. Sam, you have anything you want to shout out? Anything cool stuff going on? Well, I'm incredibly busy right now with a couple of things in my personal life, uh, but I am still streaming every week. Uh, Sassy Ship Saturday for uh, Mass Effect, and it is modded Mass Effect. And uh, I'm also streaming on Thursdays, Dragon Age. I finally finished the fade for the first time. Mm. That is a huge relief. And so I'm, I'm happy to get on with the rest of the game now. <laughs> uh, but that's those are Thedos Thursdays. And um, I'm streaming occasionally on Mondays before we air this show live on, on Twitch. But it kind of just depends on how much time I have after I'm done with the notes. And do I need time to eat dinner and yada, yada, yada. Sure. But anyway, you can get all those streams at Twitch. Uh, uh, you can follow me at In7TheLegend. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I've been streaming more lately, too. I've been playing lots of different things. I've been trying out um, different mods like the Skyrim Together co-op mod. And you and I played uh, Elden Ring co-op the other night. We're going to do more of that whenever you get a little bit more free time. And if you want to join me for any of my live streams, then come join over on the Robots Radio channels. There's Robots Radio YouTube. There's Twitch. There's Facebook. I restream to all those locations. So you just pick the one you like the best and you can watch over there. Uh, So that's what I got going on. We are going to head out. But if you're here for the live stream, don't go anywhere because we're going to move right into another episode. Double recording Mondays. So stay here for that. And until next time, stay safe out there, everybody. We'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. 
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.